But that's all right. We're going to have some fun. Hey, if we've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Pastor Taylor. Everyone say hi, Pastor Taylor. Uh, here's what I'll tell you. Pastor Taylor loves you. I love you. And I'm so excited that you're here tonight. Uh, can we do this? Can we make some noise? Can we put our hands together and welcome our first time guests? Come on. Come on, y'all. Come on. I'm excited. Uh, tonight we're continuing our series on worship. Somebody say worship. Somebody say holla. Right? Worship, I think, is such a big uh, topic, and there's so many ways that we could talk about it, but Pastor Taylor likes to be focused. Um, how many of y'all say cap? Cap. Pastor Taylor does not focus, but we're we going to try. We're going to do our best tonight. Uh, worship, well, I talked about last week, is really the word sounded out. What was, what was the way I sounded out the word last? Oh, that's my baby screaming back there. She's trying to help, help me preach, right? What's the, what's, the, what's, the way that, what's the word that I said for worship? What was it? Do you all remember? Worship, right? It was me giving worth to something, right? And that's really what worship is. It's a sacrifice to say, God, you're worth my best. God, you're, this is going to cost me time. This is going to cost my energy. This is going to cost my voice, right? My glorious, pretty voice that only normally sings Taylor Swift. I'm giving it to you, God, right? I don't even know. Is Taylor Swift even still writing music? I don't even know, right? She is the queen of country, pop, rap, whatever she is. I don't even know anymore. But I want to share a verse with y'all, and then we're going to pray. Y'all cool? Y'all down? Y'all going to help me preach tonight? Y'all going to help me preach tonight? Y'all going to help me preach tonight? Okay. I know some of y'all think it's freezing outside. It's not freezing. Literally, it is 51 degrees. Does anybody know what the actual temperature for freezing is? 32, right? And y'all are like, it's freezing. It's like, nah, dog, it's 51 outside. You got 20 more degrees to go before it is freezing. But I want to share this verse with you. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. So whatever you eat or drink, how many of y'all, okay, I want, to, I want to pull the room. Best burger in all of America, okay? in and out or five guys, all right? If you're an in and out person, if you're an in and out person, I need you to go, ha, ready, set, go. Okay, and if you're a five guys person, I need you to just stand up in all of the pride of the Lord because five guys is the best burger place in all of the world. That's what we need right there. That's what I need right there. Y'all know what's up. Uh, everyone look around. The people who are standing, if you ever need help knowing what is right and wrong, they will help you because they know what's right and what's wrong, all right? Y'all, five guys, best burger place in the entire world, and I'll, t I'll prove it to you. In-N-Out has the worst fries of any fast food restaurant in the entire world. Facts, facts. It's cardboard, it's cardboard, and they don't even cook it, y'all. You eating a raw, raw potato in a cube, okay? I, I got some bitterness in my heart, right? I got some bitterness in my heart. But 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Somebody say all. all. Somebody say all. all. Right? That's a tough word, right? Whenever somebody says all, they're most of the time wrong, Right? If somebody goes, all men are trash, ah, that's wrong. Not all men. You could maybe say some, right? If you were to say, all women are bad drivers, some of y'all nodding your head, and I'll tell you, that's why you're single right now, homie. So <laughs> I'll tell you that, 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 that anytime we say all, most of the time we're wrong, right? All quarterbacks of the NFL are terrible, right? If we say all, all the NBA teams are rigged. All the NBA games are rigged. All of them are forced. Somebody's has to win. Whenever we say all, we're most of the time wrong, correct? 
right? If you say all, all, all the time, I don't have any money, that's probably not true. If you say all the time, you lie, well, that's probably not true. There are probably some moments of truth. There's probably a moment or two. But this is an interesting verse because it says in all that you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So one of the things that we talked about with worship is that worship is us giving our best. Somebody say, my best. My best, right? Y'all put your best outfit on for that date whenever you get a date. Aw. Right? You put your best on for the school picture day. Unless you forgot it was school picture day. How many friends do I have in the room, right? That's the worst feeling in the world. When everyone's all like looking fly, the kid who never does his hair has his hair done, and you're like, oh, wow, you look good today. And they're like, yeah, it's picture day. And you realize you are wearing a sweatshirt that has like last week's cheeseburger on it, right? And you look terrible. You got like the unibrow going. You got to clean all that up, right? Like that's, maybe that's just me. But what we value in worship and what we value, how we give value to what we pursue and what we worship. This week, I want to talk about worship, not just being something we do when music comes on. It's actually a way we live our life. Worship is actually a way we get to live our life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you for today. God, we honor you. We thank you for just an awesome opportunity, God, to be in your presence. Lord, we don't take it for granted. God, we, we step back from our lives just even right now in this prayer, and we understand that there are people who've never gotten to be in a church service, people who've never gotten to be around your presence, never gotten to sing your name out loud because of oppression, because of people pursuing them and, and, and religious freedoms not being a thing. God, we take them moment, we say thank you, God. Thank you that we get to do this, that we get to be in this place in this moment. God, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen, amen, amen. Uh, Somebody turn to your neighbor and tell them your favorite genre of music. Ready, set, go. Lecrae. That's not a genre, homie. Right? All right. Uh, What was the weirdest genre? Somebody tell me. Somebody tell me. Weirdest genre you heard. Drake, that's not a real genre. It's trash. Drake is trash genre. I'm just kidding. Him and Kanye. Him and Kanye. Um, what's a weird genre? Weird genre. Genre. Bluegrass. Somebody said, Claudia, is that your favorite? Is bluegrass? Okay. Right? Jazz. <laughs> I look smooth form jazz. Right? I don't even know what that means. You're trying to look smart when you ain't smart, right? Worship is not just a genre of music, right? If you've ever looked through genres, right, if you've ever opened up your music library and maybe sorted by genre, you can kind of figure out types of music and the theming of music, right? If we were to look at hip-hop and rap, a genre theme would be like getting money, right? That's a central theme to it, right? Getting, getting the gender or the, the, the prized of opposite gender that you think is fine, that is a baddie, that is a genre, that is a central theme, correct? Right? Maybe doing drugs or, or alcohol or lean. I mean, there's whole songs designated to a certain type of mixture of alcoholic and drinks and, and, and medicine. And, like, that is a central theme to hip-hop music or rap music, whatever, if you want to get real technical into it. But another genre that has specific themes would be like country. Do I have any country music fans in here? Right? Here's a central theme. Here's a central theme to country music. Uh, She left me. Here's another central theme to country music. My dog died. My truck's gone. 
right? I was messing with my wife, and there's a song that she likes from country, and it goes, I got a heart like a truck. And I'm like, what does that mean? What does that mean, homie? <laughs> right? You got a lift on it. You got 35-inch tires. Like, what you trying to say? I don't understand. But another central theme to, like, maybe classical music is uh, uh, classical music would be, like, stringed instruments, right? It would be like violins, classical. It would be a, a throwback. It would be much more formulated in music. It wouldn't be the same chorus for two and a half minutes. Hello. Looking at you, pop people. Um, right? If we looked at pop, it's like, I don't know, <laughs> daisies and gumdrops, and I don't know what pop's central themes are, right? But there are themes that we follow, but if we were to look at worship and I were to be like, what are the central themes to the genre of worship? Some people might be like, well, like a really fast beat. Be like, mm, not really. Or you might be like, a central theme to worship is a, a, a guy with really tight pants leading the song. Come on, y'all. That was funnier than y'all letting on. The worship team got pants tighter than, than you ever seen before. They spray paint those on. Um, but one of the things that, like, if we were looking at a central theme, what worship, what I would say a central theme to worship is, is it's a sacrifice. There is no worship song that truthfully, if we were to come down to the very nitty-gritty of it, is not a sacrifice. There's no worship song where the, where the vocalist or the person is getting honor. There is no worship song where somebody is going, look at me and look at how good my relationship is with God. All worship music is, and a central theme is it's directed towards him. It's to give him honor, to give him glory, to take him from maybe a lower place and exalt him to a higher place. That's what worship is really about. So there are two aspects to worship. Somebody say two aspects. What we think it is, somebody say think, and what it actually is. Actually, right? For real. Because one of the things that we think worship is, is we think worship is music. Right? We think worship is music, right? Like if somebody's like, okay, what part of service are we in? And you'd go, worship. And they go, what is that? You'd be like, oh, there's like some like people up at the front and they like play a thong or two or three or four or eight, depending on how the spirit's moving. And they're like, what's the spirit? And you're like, I don't even know. I'm using too many Christian words, right? And I think the thing is, is that we've equated worship to music when worship is so much bigger. Or, or we've equated worship to music, and worship is so much bigger than just music. And that's the first point of my message. Worship is more than music. Because this is the thing, is that if you, let, if you let worship just be relegated to music, you will actually miss out on what worship really is. If you let worship just be a playlist on your phone, you will miss what worship truly is. Because worship connected to music is just a recent thing. That's not what worship has been historically throughout all of history and time, but worship is so much more. And I, and I do want to say this. Music is good. Can I get an amen from somebody? Right? Music is good. Actually, music is from God. Like, it actually, if you look through the Bible, it actually came from him. Uh, worship is often equated to music, but worship is more than just music. I believe that equating worship to only music is actually missing 90% of what worship really is. If you think worship is music, you're actually missing what I think. Uh, uh, there's another 90 plus percent of what worship truly is. Um, and here's, here's what I think worship is in its totality. Worship is how we live our lives. How me and you live our lives is the truest definition of worship. Because here's the thing. If you only think worship is music, 
What kind of what kind of representative are you are of uh, could you be of Christ if you'll be in the service and you can lift your hands? You can do the move that everyone does, right? You can jump when it's a fast song. You can do all of those things. But when you go out of this place, you treat people terribly. You ignore those who are hurting around you. That's not true worship. That's you faking it for other people, and your life doesn't really model what worship truly is. Here, I want to show this. I want to show this verse. Colossians 3.23. Y'all with me still? Y'all with me still? I know, I'm getting a little real. I'll, I'll teach you. Um, uh, this might be a night where I need a little bit of gas, okay? What that means is when Pastor Taylor's going to go gas or brakes, and you better tell me gas because that means like, hey, let's go. Like, come on, preacher. Come on, white boy, preach, white boy. Like, that's what I need in this moment because, y'all, worship is so important because it's not just, it's not just a thing that we do. It's actually an opportunity for us to connect with God, with other people. All the other disciplines that you might have would be personal, but this is a public connection to God with other people. You can pray privately. You can read your Bible privately, but worship when it's with other people changes things in your life. Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Oh, dang. Quitters in the room just got a little upset. <laughs> it says do it with all your heart. Don't quit. How many of y'all have like a little brother or sister and you'll be like playing video games with them or you'll be being competitive with them? Maybe it's checkers. I don't know what you're into, right? And they get real mad and they turn it off. You're like, homie, what's up with that, right? And that's because we, when things get tough, like to quit. But the Lord is encouraging us that whatever you do, do it with, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Hello. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It says, whatever you do, work at it as if God was your boss. Woo! Not for human masters. Here's the crazy thing about this. Here's the crazy thing about this. We will work really, really hard for earthly people. We'll work really, really hard for our boss to notice us. We'll work really, really hard for our coach to give us more playing time. We'll work really, really hard for that teacher to give us a good grade. We'll work really, really hard for mom and dad to be proud of us, for that uncle, for that whatever, that relationship, the person. We'll work really, really hard for that. But then they fail us. Whatever your person is that you're trying to get their approval, your friends, hello, that friend group, I just want them to think I'm cool, man. Dude, you're not even going to be friends with them in three years from now. Can I get an amen from somebody who's experienced that? Right? Any adults in the room, can I get an amen from that? Right? You're not going to care about what the th people that you're doing life with right now, they're going to be like, yeah, um, I don't think you should do that. And you're going to be like, guess what? In three years, we won't even talk. Right? And we will live our whole lives confined in trying to please earthly people. But when there's an opportunity, when the Bible encourages us to do everything as for the Lord, we'll give Half efforts. And the way I know you do this is because you'll come into service and you, and you won't stand during worship. You'll come in and you'll, the worship leader, Claudia, will say, raise your hands. And you're like, you get half hands. Not full hands, half hands. Right? You'll come in and, and, and you'll, your posture will be, I'll talk to my friends instead of being att attentive to what God is doing. That this is a privilege that I get to connect with God in this moment. 
But if it, there was a coach or if there was your favorite music artist or if there was your, your, your person or, or your, the person that you look to as, a, as an inspiration for whatever passions you have, if they were in this room, you would give them 100% attention. But the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, that's who we're worshiping. But we'll give him half, a quarter. We won't give him our best. Uh, one of the things that really challenged me in this verse when I was, when I was growing up is that I started to look at my homework. How many of y'all hate homework? Come on, let me see, let me see, let me see. When I, was in, when I was in school, I used to hate homework. I'm like, what do I go to school for eight hours and we can't get it done in eight hours? Why are you sitting at home with me, dog, right? I promise this history exam, I can do it all in this class. I don't have to do stuff at home. And I really struggled with that. I was like, man, this doesn't make sense. I really, you know what? I was the kind of kid who could kind of get through school. Any people like that? Like they could kind of just, I hate using this word, kind of fart their way through school, right? Just like, uh, 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 right? I could just make my way through school. I didn't really have to try. I didn't really have to put a lot of effort into it. But then the Lord began challenging me, and he goes, what if you were writing that paper for me? Oh. Right? What if you were taking this test? What if you were doing this reading? What if you were doing this homework for me? I'd give it a whole lot better effort. I'd give it a whole lot better effort because a teacher may not be perfect, but God is perfect. And he deserves my best. Uh, what if, what if, and then, and then, you know, what if we took this into like our relationships, our friendships? What if you were as good a friend because God was expecting you to be a good friend? Would you treat people differently if God was saying, hey, treat them well? Would you treat people differently? Would you honor your mother and father differently because you're doing it as for the Lord, not for them, not even for you? Would your search history on your phone, would the music you listen to, the playlists, would those look differently as if it were for the Lord? Because it says do everything you do. Everything you do. Somebody say everything. Somebody say everything. Everything you do. If you were to do it for the Lord, I promise you it would look a little bit different. Right? Now, some of y'all, some of y'all, if you, like, got ready in the morning as for the Lord, you'd look a lot better. Hello. Right? If you were doing it for the Lord, I promise your breath would not stink so bad, young man. Right? Because you, you brush your teeth, right? And suddenly, if we were to do things for the Lord, you probably wouldn't find as many things wrong with your life because you would give better effort. You would value the things differently because God is who we're doing it for. Worship is not only singing or lifting hands, right? Sometimes we wrestle with that. We're like, man, all they ever do is tell me to lift my hands. I don't want to lift my hands. And the reason why we lift our hands is not, is not to, you know, <laughs> do a pit check for everybody else. We don't lift our hands because we want to block the view or we want it to look really cool in pictures. The reason we lift our hands is because it is the universal sign for surrender. It is the universal sign for surrender across cultures, all those things. When we lift our hands, we're saying, I'm surrendering. My plan doesn't work. My ideas, my concepts, everything, I, I, I am surrendering to God's plan. I'm surrendering to him because he actually knows what's going on. I don't. That's why we lift our hands. But sometimes we think it's singing, right? And you're like, I can't sing, Pastor Taylor. Me neither. Me neither, homie. And I talked about it last week. The Bible says that you can make a joyful noise, right? That means if you can't sing, you can make a noise, though, and it's going to be all right, right? Oh, right? Like whatever it looks like. 
you can make noise and you can be submitted to the Lord. And it doesn't have to be the pretty song because God's not looking for audio. He's looking at your heart. God isn't looking at your audio. He's not like listening. He's like, ooh, she is so flat. Oh, my goodness. He is off pitch. Oh, my. Like, that's not what God looks at. God is looking at your heart. Are you singing from a place of submission? Are you saying, God, I don't understand this. God, I can't. I can't. I'm just being authentic. I'm being real where I'm at. I don't have all the answers. I'm not a perfect Christian, but I'm going to worship you. Worship is not only singing or lifting hands, it's how we live our lives. I think one of the things that we can worship God with is how we manage our finances. Ooh! How we manage our finances, how we spend our money. Is it honoring God or is it just us living our lives and pursuing what we want? It's what we have in that search bar and that history that we clear and that private browser mode. It's how we sit when someone is talking to us. Oh, hello. You can worship the Lord with how you sit in a chair, right? Some people, like, my favorite thing is that you, some people come into service. I won't, I won't look. I'm going to just look right here at Julian because I know Julian doesn't do it, right? There are some people who would come into service and they'd act like they've been working 14 hours in the deep, dark mines of Tucson, Arizona, and they haven't seen the light of day. And they're like, I just need to sleep. But you went to, like, Lehman Academy of Excellence today. Got called a scholar. <laughs> and you're struggling with energy, right? And here's what I would tell you is that is an opportunity to worship the Lord. That is an opportunity to go, no, 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 I'm going to be present in this moment, and I'm going to be here, and I'm going to be aware because, you know what, God, I'm not listening because Pastor Taylor needs me to listen. I'm not listening because, man, I just want everyone to think I'm awesome. I'm listening because it's giving you glory and how I pay attention. It's giving you honor. I'm worshiping you with my body language. Oh, hello. I'm worshiping God with how I choose to live my life. It's uh, a way we worship would be how we speak to our family. Calling them stupid, calling them idiots is not exactly an opportunity to worship the God through how we treat our family. Back talking to your mom. Hello. Uh, just sidebar, ladies. If he can't talk to his mom right, he ain't talking to you right. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. If, if, if he can't treat his sister right, hello. If, if he can't love the female members of his family well, he's, he's only with you for one thing, for his needs. Right? And, and gentlemen, <laughs> um, don't pursue ladies because there's an easy access through a father wounding. Don't pursue because you sense wounding. Oh, man, I can, I, man, whew. she's just like super open. She'll tell me all her problems, and I can be the solution and get what I want. Um, can I tell you this? There should be a level of health in both parties before we pursue relationship together. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know the phrase is hurt people hurt people, um, broke people broke people. <laughs> Here's what I'll tell you, is that if you are broken, you're not going to bring healing to somebody else. Hello. 
If you're hurting and broken and have problems and you're like, man, I got a lot of things. And I'm not saying like my, I'm not saying like, man, I just sometimes struggle with this. I'm not saying you need to walk in perfect authority and have every single thing dialed. But if you are hurting and broken and have not solved some major issues in your life and you try and attach somebody else and like, they're, they're, they will fill me up. No, 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 homie. What is happening is, is you are taking a, a, a percentage that is less than 100 and another percentage that is less than 100 and trying to get 200%. You actually end up worse off than you were before. Her emotional problems and your emotional problems will not mix into wholeness. <laughs> uh, your pornography problem and her desire for acceptance will not mix together. Your young man, your inability to manage your finances or be responsible or be accountable for the decisions you make will not line up with her desire to be needed and, and, and needed. And like, I solve all his problems. Those will not mix. Those will not lead to a happy marriage. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Okay, okay. That's not had nothing to do with worship. I don't know where we went there, but hello. Worship is how we live our lives not a song note that we try to hit. And I want to show you a worshiper in the Bible. Y'all y'all okay if I if I back this up in the Bible a little bit? Is that cool with y'all? Okay. I want to show you a worshiper, actually the guy who was most famous for being a worshiper, right? The most famous. When I think of that, when I say like he's a famous worshiper, I imagine he's got like flags and he's just like spinning, right? 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 And 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 sometimes we confuse worshiper with being soft. We confuse worship with being soft, right? I, I know this as, as a dude, at least for me, there would be a part of me that somebody would go, hey, man, you just got to worship through your problems. Worship through your worry. Worship through the issues. And I go, no, nah, man, I'm a man. I'm going to figure this out. And see how far that gets you. <laughs> it's going to lead to inconsistency in your walk with Jesus. It's going to lead to failure. It's going to lead to you not being fulfilled in your life because you don't know. Somebody say, duh. You don't know. You won't be able to figure it out. You'll have to rely on God. And his name was David, the worshiper I'm talking about. Somebody say David, right? And that was my goal when, when David came to me. He's like, hey, man, I want to I serve in production. I said, no, your name's David. You got to serve in worship, bro. I'm just telling No, that's not what I did. That's not what I did. But uh, sorry, I'm going to get, is it cool if I take my jacket off? Y'all cool with that? I'm a little, I'm a little hot. <laughs> stupid. You're stupid, David. Uh, David needs a purity talk after this. Okay. <laughs> But one of the things that I think about in worship is that I oftentimes think worship is like a jacket. You're like, what? I don't understand. It's that you get into an environment and you put it on. And then, hold on, hold on, hold on. You get done and you hang it in the coat closet. Right? You'll come into an environment and you're like, oh, man, everyone. It's like y'all in, in the Christmas time. It's like y'all when it starts to get like below 70 outside. You're like, oh, it's time to wear long sleeves. Yes. Right? You suddenly are like, all those things I bought and I only can wear for two months, I have an outfit planned for all 60 days. Right? Because when, if you try and wear those any other time, you are going to burst into flames and die. But here's the thing is that worship is oftentimes what we can, can, can connect with a jacket because there is a comparison thing. We compare my jacket to their jacket. Oh, man, hold on. Let me, hold on. Oh, man, you got a really nice jacket. Man, your jacket's really warm. I bet that's awesome right now. 
But we believe that worship is something we put on when really worship is something that is inside of us. Right? One of my favorite things, one of my favorite things growing up uh, was, uh, you know, you know, maybe you guys are these, you guys know these kids. But they'd be in school, and they'd be like, it'd be really cold, you know, in Tucson. <laughs> so it'd be like 45 degrees outside. And they're in short sleeves. <laughs> they're in like shorts, right? They've got slides on, right? They're walking around like no shoes. They're like, hey, what's up, bro? Hey, what's up, bro? Like, you're like, hey, bro, you got a foot fungus, dude. Get that away from me, right? And they're trying to prove how tough they are by not having a jacket, right? But I would argue that there's actually probably some people who internally, here's the crazy thing, here's the crazy thing. If you guys move to somewhere cold, right, how many of y'all want to move somewhere cold, like when you get older, right? You're like, I just want to be somewhere it's not 145. When you move somewhere cold, there's something that actually happens inside your body. What happens inside your body is it doesn't like, you, you don't suddenly put on 35 pounds and you've got like a winter coat, right? Like that's not what happens. What happens is, is your blood actually begins to thicken up. How freaking weird is that? And the reason why it thickens up is because the thickness of your veins and your blood will help you retain body heat. Worship is more connected to an internal change than a jacket that we put on. Worship is something that takes time and conditioning. It doesn't just fall on us like a jacket that we put on and we take off. Worship and a true heart of worship is something that takes time and it's developed. If you are like, man, Pastor Taylor, I want a heart for worship. I want to be a worshiper. The Bible talks about being a worshiper in spirit and in truth. I can tell you, young man, young woman, you're not going to just put it on. There's going to be tough moments when you ache to just put it on and take it off. But what it will require is a development inside of you. And that has to do with David. Worship, here's my next point in my message. Worship makes you stand out. Worship makes you stand out. And I know, I know some of y'all are thinking like what I was talking about, right? Like the, the, the flags, right? You're like, well, yeah, worship will make you stand out. If you stand back in the back, you're like, right? <laughs> or the people who have the flags, and they're like, Right? Some of y'all, some of y'all ain't been in church long enough, y'all. There's some wildness that happens in the place of worship. Some of y'all been to his, some Hispanic churches. You're like, whoa, we do that? <laughs> whoa, we do that, right? Right, y'all, y'all, I, I remember going with a, with a pastor friend of mine, and we, we had the opportunity to go to a, a church that is predominantly black, and I got to learn that people worship differently, but their hearts are the same. I got to learn that there were some people who would run around the room. I'm like, yo, you trying to get steps in, homie? And they're just running. They just running. I'm like, I don't understand, but their heart is that I'm going to sacrifice to give God worth. I will sacrifice this moment maybe looking silly, hello, in order to give God his worth. And we struggle thinking we look silly when we raise our hands. And we struggle thinking we look silly when we stand up. Can I tell you, can I tell you, young man, young woman, worship makes you stand out, but not in the ways you think it does, okay? I'm going to jump in to the story of David. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, and we'll, we'll jump in to this story. I'm out of breath, Beth. I'm out of breath, David. I'm not used to doing the flag movement, so. But I want to give you a backstory of David in the Bible, okay? So David is a young man. Somebody say, young man. Somebody say, young man. <laughs> right? And here's the thing about, and y'all take this verse down for a second. I want to give some backstory. Here's the thing about David, okay? David 
is a worshiper. Okay? David is not a worshiper in the way that you and me are used to worshipers. David actually never worships around other people. David never actually would go up and get on the stage and go, come on, good morning, church, let's worship together. Right? He'd never, he'd, he'd, he'd never go like, ah, you feel his presence. Right? Like that's, that's not what happens. That's not what David does in this scenario. David worships in private. David worships between just him and God. David doesn't worship for other people to see. Hello. David doesn't worship because his friends go to the front. David worships because he worships. But David is a young man. He's actually the youngest of like, I don't even know, 11 plus, I don't even know, brothers in his household. He has some half-brothers and he has full brothers. And then he's got all sorts of different dynamics within those brothers. If you read in that story for Samuel, it'll tell you exactly how many brothers he has. But there's a moment where there is a new king about to be chosen. All right, and here's the thing. Kings were not like presidents and that everyone was like, okay, what do we think about this guy? Yes, no, yes, no, anybody else? <laughs> That's not how kings operated. Kings were selected by the presence of God. And if you didn't like the king, sorry, that's who God has chosen. That's a, tough, that's a tough thing to swallow, but I think if you trust the Lord, he can lead a country like that. But he lead, he lead, he's, he's being he, the, the guy who is selecting the next king, the presence of the Lord is selecting the next king. And, and the Lord tells the prophet that he is going to select from this family, David's family. You're going to select from this family. So he rolls up, this prophet does, and he goes, hey, dad, the dad of David and all these brothers, he goes, bring your sons out. And, and, and Samuel, the prophet, looks at all these guys and he goes, man, look at how tall and handsome and strong this guy is, the oldest, the oldest son. He's going to be king. And God says, no, 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 no. Don't look at the outward. The outward will deceive you. Ladies, the outward will deceive you. Gentlemen. The outward will deceive you. The outward is a very poor measure of character. The outward is a very poor measure of substance. The haircut and the shoes and the pants, the waistline, the body, those are poor measurements of character. And what you really want is you want somebody who is full of character, not a baddie. I promise you, a baddie in this moment may be absolute trash in the next season. Somebody say, good morning. <laughs> so let me jump into this story. The Samuel has gone through, and he finally goes to dad, and he goes, dad, is there anybody else? You got any other sons? And dad goes, oh, there's one kid I forgot about. <laughs> He's out in the fields watching some sheep. Do you want him to come in? Samuel's like, yeah, I told you I was coming. I told you to have all your sons prepared. And here's what I'll tell you is that there will be moments you'll be looked over. It's life. Sorry. I wish you got the opportunity every time. I wish you were first in line, but you won't be. But I will tell you this, that the Lord's favor is better than any earth, earthly person's favor. The Lord's favor on you is better than being front in line every single time. Hello. 
So he finally comes in, and we'll jump into that verse, 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 12. says this, and he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy. No, 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 that's not right. Ruddy. He was ruddy. Somebody find the definition of ruddy, because I don't even know what that means, homie. What does ruddy mean? Somebody look it up. Somebody look it up. Somebody look it up. Help me out. 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 He's got really red cheeks. Is that it? Is that what it means? I don't think that's right. Thank you, though. I appreciate that. Fully prepared. He was fully prepared. Helping having healthy red color. So, so <laughs> David comes in all red. <laughs> That's crazy, yo. David comes in. He's probably been running his cheeks already. He's like, hey, guys. I love my life. <laughs> hey, guys, sheep smell really bad, right? Like, that's what I'm anticipating from this conversation. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Somebody say, ooh. And the, Lord and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So you got to think, like, if you're anointed king, what's next in line? We go into the palace, homie. Right? 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 We, we go into the palace, homie, right? If you get made president, you move into the White House, right? If you get a, a, a position of honor, you move into the house. You move in into possession. But that doesn't happen here because David actually goes right back to the sheep field. What? David gets anointed, and here's one of my favorite things about this anointing is that Samuel more than likely poured over two gallons of oil, like vegetable cooking oil, onto his head. That's gross. They didn't have showers, homie, right? Like you would have carried this oil with you. It would have soaked your clothes, soaked your hair. But here's the thing is that anointing didn't lead to a life change. A word from God might not lead to immediate life change. If you might have gotten a word or you might have gotten a message or you might have gotten a Holy Spirit touch or you might have gotten a moment and, man, God spoke something to me. That doesn't mean immediate life change. Oh, we don't like that. We're like, God, you gave me a word. Put me in the palace. Man, I'm anointed, God. Put me in first. Put me on top. Man, God, you told me I was going to do this. Why am I not there yet? It's because God doesn't look at the outward. He doesn't look at the anointing on the outward. He looks at the heart. He examines the heart. David was, ha, has been made king, but he goes back to the sheep field. The anointing wasn't what changed everything for David. Getting a word from God doesn't change everything. David's everyday choices led to his life change. The everyday choice that you make, young man, young woman, leads to the life change you're after. I'm going to continue on in 1 Samuel 16. Y'all still with me? Y'all still with me? Y'all still with me? Come on, y'all ain't tired, right? Come on, y'all. It's like 8 o'clock. Y'all don't even start partying. Y'all don't even start partying till like 9, 34 o'clock in the morning. I don't even know. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Y'all talk to me. Help me out here. Y'all ready? 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 15, says this. Some of Saul's servants. Somebody say, Saul. Saul is the current king who is about to be replaced by David. Dang. 
If you've ever paid attention to politics or maybe looked at, at the world, when somebody is replaced in leadership, they more than likely don't like the next guy. Because they feel like their, their, their leadership, their, their, their authority is being taken from them. But watch, watch this. Watch this. Watch what allows David to step into the next thing. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. So, so more than likely, Saul has some sort of anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts that are coming onto him by a spirit, not by a chemical imbalance. There are chemical imbalances. There are natural things that happen, but there is also a spiritual realm. There's also demonic things that happen that we have to be aware of, young man, young woman. He will play soothing music and you will be, soon be well again. Verse 17, all right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. Verse 18, one of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's son from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave war warrior, a man of war and has good judgment. He is also a fine looking young man and the Lord is with him. The thing that allowed David to come into the palace to start possessing the thing that God has promised him was not an anointing. It wasn't a word. It probably wasn't his handsomeness. It probably wasn't uh, uh, how smart he was or a good warrior. There, those, those things are easy to find in a kingdom back then. But what separated him, check this out, the very last thing. He is also a fine-looking young man. You're like, oh, cool, he's handsome, cool. But watch what the servant mentions last. Save the best for last. If you were telling somebody about, about somebody, you would normally try and save the best for last. He's also a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. The Lord isn't with him because of his handsomeness. <laughs> God's not like a, 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 a America's Next Top Model judge who's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, no, no. I'm going to need you to smile. Smile with your eyes, please, right? Like, that's... That's not what God is looking at. God is looking at the heart, and that's who he partners with. Verse 19, so Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David the shepherd, and, and, and the keys can make their way up. Verse 20, Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat. I don't know what that means. <laughs> a donkey loaded with bread and a wineskin full of wine. Verse 21, so David went to Saul and began serving him. David now enters the palace not because of a word or an anointing, but because he's a worshiper. His worship let him in to a place that is exclusive. So David began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Y'all, this is a man who's about to take Saul's job. But because he's a worshiper, Saul actually goes, I love him. That's crazy. That's crazy. You read on in the story, and later on, Saul begins to be tormented by the spirit, begins throwing spears at David. Y'all, I don't know about your boss. Your boss has probably never thrown a spear at you, homie. And then you had to come into work the next day and still get thrown spears at, right? There's something that happens in their relationship, but watch this. Verse 22, then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Here's what I believe. David, all throughout the sheep field, 
never did music or worshiped for others. He did it for God. He wouldn't play music because, like, those sheep would get all riled up. <laughs> it wouldn't be like the sheep were like, and he'd play music and they'd chill out. David worshiped for him. He would worship in the quiet of the field, and he could be studying. He could be learning. He could be honing his craft. He could be working out, doing push-ups. He could be doing all that, but David is choosing to worship because he knows the value of worship is so much higher than anything else he could do. Then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. It was because of his worship, not because of his looks or how handsome he was. His worship invited him into a higher way of life. The way he lived his life in the field led him to the promotion. And here's the last point of my message. Your worship makes way for your promotion. Your worship makes way for your promotion. I know you're like, Pastor Taylor, that doesn't make any sense. Well, here's what, I, here's what I will tell you. Any promotion in your life does not come from men. The promotion at your job, the promotion you're seeking on that sports team, the promotion you're, speaking, you're, you're seeking out does not come from people. The Bible says that promotion comes from the Lord. So how do you differentiate yourself? How would you, right? Like if the Lord is looking, he's not going to be like, hmm, who has the most hours spent reading my Bible? That's not how God does promotion. God doesn't look at things or tasks or on the outward, he looks at your heart. So the thing that will separate you from others, that will separate you in the kingdom is not the things you do, but the heart that you have. The heart that you have separates you. It makes way for your promotion. And I, and I know I've made worship kind of silly in my actions, but sometimes we think worship is silly. We're like, man, I gotta worship right now. Or maybe you've been in a service or somebody has told you, or maybe this is your first time, you're like, what is he talking about, worship? This is weird. I don't know what he's talking about. We've made worship into maybe a silly thing. Oh, we just do it just cause. We just like dork around and, you know, raise our hands and sing a song because it's, you know, something to kill time with. It's actually sometimes some people even consider it a form of weakness to worship. Like, no, I'm not ever going to lift my hands to something else. My pride, I'm not going to let something else be in charge of me. But can I tell you, worship is what gave a young boy, David, access to a king. Worship is what, da what took David from being out with smelly sheep to being in a palace. The thing that elevated David was not his skill. Because I could tell you this, you're like, no, it's because David was a really good harp player. You're telling me that in this entire kingdom, David, who has never played in front of people, just think about this for a second. He's only ever played out in the fields. Homie, if I took you and I said, you will never play around anybody else, never have a coach, but here's a guitar, figure it out. You're going to be bad. Can I get an amen from some guitar players in here, right? Because here's the reasoning is because there has to be an instruction, right? You may be able to get through and figure out some little things and, and figure out little pieces, but you will never be an expert just playing out in the field. But what David was an expert in was worship because it wasn't for anybody else it was for him 
It wasn't for the sheep because the sheep don't care. (laughs) He worshiped for him. Every part of our life can be a form of worship. Are we choosing how we live? Does it worship God? Worship is actually so much more than all of this. The cool lights. Right? I keep praying every single service, Lord, don't let anybody get an epilepsy. (laughs) Please, Lord. We don't need the lights that bad, Lord. Worship is not this cool smoke machine. Right? Worship is not a, a band or keys. Worship is not him playing. Right? Worship is not that. We've connected worship to a place, and worship is your heart. We've made worship into a destination, and worship is a process. We've made worship into a thing we do, and worship is really who we are. It's an identity that we take on. It's a choice that we make to be. It's not the cool lyrics. It's not the cool projector. It's not all the other people. Worship is truthfully this. It's sacrifice. Worship is a sacrifice. If you go back to the root of what worship is, if you go back to the very first time that there was ever a worship to God, it was actually a sacrifice. It was an animal that was slayed and killed, a perfect animal that didn't need to die. It wasn't sick. It wasn't hurting. It wasn't broken. It was perfect, and it was killed to say, God, you are worth my best. And that extension of worship is, y'all, it will be a sacrifice at times to worship. It will be a sacrifice at times to lift your hands when you don't want to. It will be a sacrifice to stop playing the video game and go worship in your room. There will be a sacrifice when you could listen to a podcast or could listen to the radio to not and to choose worship and worship in your car. Worship is a sacrifice. But the reason why I'm okay with that sacrifice is because Jesus sacrificed first. Jesus came down. The whole reason we do this is because a man named Jesus 2,000 years ago came down and lived a perfect life. And when I say perfect, I mean perfect. Never stole, never lied, never cheated, never, never took advantage of people, never said an unkind word, never was disobedient to his mom, never forgot to do something. He was perfect. So God in his perfection, Jesus in his perfection, came down, lived a perfect life, and died one of the most, if not the most brutal death in all of history so that me and you could live in eternity with him. He loved us so much before you were even born, before you even knew the the name Jesus, he died for you. He died so that we could get to worship him, to have relationship with him. Jesus' sacrifice was actually so great that that historians have argued throughout different deaths, different public humiliation deaths. And actually the number one is Jesus' crucifixion. 
the process of crucifixion. Jesus would have been whipped and beaten mercilessly by Romans, Roman guards because they felt empowered in charge because they ruled over these people. Beaten and whipped to the point where his organs and his flesh and his back are exposed. You can see the bone. The Bible actually says that after the, the beating and the whipping that he was unrecognizable. That they didn't even know he was a man because of how beaten he was. And then if that's not bad enough, Jesus in continued sacrifice was mocked. He was stripped of his clothes and he was forced to carry his own cross. A cross that they believe was significantly heavy, not unbearable, but stripped naked and, for, and forced to walk miles carrying this cross on a raw and bleeding back. Muscles, tendons exposed. And while he's carrying it, not only is he carrying this in excruciating pain, Jesus, still in the heart of sacrifice, is walking and people are mocking him. People are spitting on Jesus. People are looking on Jesus and saying, if you're the king, where's your, where's your kingdom? You're a liar. You're actually from the devil. You're not from God. You deserve to die. And the entire time Jesus is carrying this, not one time does Jesus fire his mouth off. That's very different from me and you. <laughs> Somebody comes at us and we like to fire back. We like to get mouthy. Jesus just continues to carry. Jesus then gets to the place where he's going to be crucified. He knows his death is coming. And most, most historians say that most people who were crucified would be begging for their life. They'd be complaining that they never got a fair trial. They'd be complaining that they, they were injustice, that they are the wrong guy. They'd be complaining, trying to get out of it. And Jesus is quiet. And Jesus lays down on this cross. The Bible actually shows historically that they would have grabbed his hands and tied a rope around his wrist in order to dislocate his shoulder out of socket in order to stretch him as far as possible and then more than likely put six-inch nails through his wrists, through his feet. And the crazy thing about this death and this sacrifice is that as Jesus is lifted up, this is always the part that always challenges me the most in my heart, is Jesus is actually hanging there and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the challenging part for me is how many times do I not know what I'm doing? How many times have maybe people hurt me and I want to tear them apart? I want to hurt them. I want to abandon them. I want to not be their friend anymore. I want them to hurt as bad as they've hurt me. But Jesus in that moment asks God to forgive them for what they're doing to him. Jesus proceeds to hang for hours and he ends up 
passing away, not because of blood loss. Most of the time in crucifixion, which you died from was not blood loss or shock or trauma. You would actually have been beaten so bad that your lungs would have been exposed on the back of your body and blood would begin to fill your lungs from the beating you took. And most people who were crucified would actually drown in their own blood. If they wanted to take a breath because their shoulder was dislocated, they could not pull themselves up. They would have to push with their feet that were nailed to the cross. They'd have to push up to take a breath. And then they would fall back down. And the reason why I tell you that is because we oftentimes forget what Jesus' sacrifice really looked like. We get so used to this cute church idea. We get so used to like, man, this is so fun. We come in, there's lights, there's games, there's all these things. But young man, young woman, can I tell you that if we forget Jesus' sacrifice, we will get further and further away from his heart. And the reason why I'm okay worshiping and looking silly is because Jesus sacrificed everything. And my sacrifice is so small compared to his. I can give him my best. I can live my life in a way that honors him. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes across this room? And I know I, know I went long. That's okay. If you're in this place and you'd say, Pastor Taylor, <laughs> I don't even know who Jesus is. Maybe this is your first time and you're like, man, Pastor Taylor, I don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus and knowing him in relationship and him being the Lord, his sacrifice, I had no idea. But you're maybe in this place and you'd say, Pastor Taylor, I want to know who Jesus is. I want a relationship with him. Not because... <laughs> and Jesus didn't die so that he had a cool story. Jesus died for your sins for your mistakes. Every bad thing you've done, Jesus knew about it and still chose to die for you so that you could be clean and washed and whole. And if you're in this place and you'd say, Pastor Taylor, that's me. I, I need a relationship with Jesus. Whether for the first time or maybe you've let your relationship with Jesus die. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Before I pray, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. This is a private moment. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Just raise it up, raise it up. Nobody's looking around. Just raise it up. I'm going to ask for something bold. Would you just extend your hand straight up in the air? Just straight up, straight up, straight up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So proud of you. Thank you. Put your hands down. So proud of you. If you raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. But if you didn't raise your hand, I'm going to believe that you have a relationship with God. And you're going to pray to support those who are making this decision. So with all heads bowed, all eyes closed, would you repeat after me? Say, dear Jesus, I choose you. I've messed up. I'm broken. You know this. And still, you died for me.
thank you. I don't deserve it. Wash me. Make me new. Forgive me. I repent of my past, of my mistakes, of my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together and celebrate those? Come on, y'all. Y'all can put your hands together. Come on. Awesome. Hey, here's how I want to close. Would you stand to your feet all across this place? I got a little, I got a little bit more I want, to, I want to pray over you guys, okay? Would you close your eyes, bow your head all across this place? And here's, here's what I want to encourage you. There's a prayer that I, uh, I started praying when I was younger. And I didn't have all the best words. I've cleaned it up. I used to pray and dra- drone on or it'd be like, dear Jesus, bless us with our body, amen. <laughs> I'd pray the shortest prayers I could possibly come up with. But I want to, if you're in this place and you'd say, Pastor Taylor, not every part of my life am I living to worship God. Not every single part of my life is worship to God, but I want that to change. He's worth my best sacrifice. If that's you, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to get out of your seat, and I want you to make your way up here, okay? All right? One, two, three. Get out of your seat. Get out of your seat. Get out of your seat. Make your way up here. So proud of you. So proud of you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Proud of you. Proud of you. Those of you that are waking, making your way up here, just move quick. Move quick. Move quick. Move quick. Move quick. So proud of you. So proud of you. Can we do this? If you're, if you're in the center, can you move up a little bit? Move up a little bit so that everyone can be at the front. Thank you. Thank you. So proud of you. So proud of you. So proud of you. If you're up here at the front, would you just hold your hands out? Would you close your eyes? And would you repeat this prayer after me? Okay, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This prayer isn't special. It's just something that <laughs> your youth pastor came up with, but I think the heart is right you pray this with me? Say, dear Jesus, help every part of my life be worshiped to you. I live my life to bring you glory. Jesus, challenge me. Convict me. Search my heart so that every part of me is worshiped to you. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together? I'm so proud of y'all. I'm so proud of y'all. I'm so proud of y'all. Hey, here's what I want to tell you. Worship is a way we live our life. It's not a jacket we put on. Don't put it on like a jacket. Don't go home and put your worship in the jacket and in the closet and take it out next Wednesday or next Sunday. Have it be something in your heart. Okay? Can I pray for you one more time? Jesus, I pray right now for every single young man, young woman in this place. God, I pray a mercy over their heart. God, I pray fresh awareness of what you're doing in their life. God, I pray that they would worship, not just in, 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 in their heart, but God, in your word, it says to worship in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that they would worship in their spirit and they would worship from the truth of their heart. God, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, y'all put your hands together. Come on. How many of y'all enjoy that message?